Welcome, everyone. I'm Kim Christensen, and this is the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where I share strategies to help you get the most out of your time and feel better in the process. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited. I have a special guest today. Our guest is a CPA. His name is Mike McClenahan. And I came across Mike when I heard about his, I'm going to call it revolutionary <laughs> approach to running a CPA firm. I'm going to let him fill you in on the details. But I think the reason why I feel like it's revolutionary is because most of you know I'm a CPA and I worked in public practice until about 2007 when I left because I felt like my choice was really work-life balance and public accounting. I felt like it was an either-or statement. And Mike has done something that has removed the or out of that statement. He's created public practice and work-life balance. So I'm really excited to dive in. Mike, would you just give us a little bit of an introduction? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you today. My name is Mike McClenahan. I'm a CPA. I started my firm nine years ago. It was sort of me, a desk, a laptop, and no clients, and began the process of building a business. Since then, we have grown significantly. We've acquired these six accounting firms and have grown in leaps and bounds. So now we're a group of 16 people, CPAs, students. We've also got a team of bookkeepers on staff, and we're a multi-location firm in our city. We've got two offices, one on the west end and one on the south end of our city. Awesome. You're in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Yeah, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Awesome. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you've experienced steady growth over your nine-year career running your accounting firm. I think what's really interesting to me is this new approach to work-life balance that you've achieved for yourself, but more importantly, for your staff. So tell me, what's your take on work-life balance? How do you define it to start with? I think my experiences previously had been pretty typical of a public practice accountant and even similar to like what you described, where the expectation for public practice accountants is that you're going to work in public practice, you're going to have this career that allows you to like make an impact and you're going to be a really important person to a lot of your clients and it's public practice. And so that's going to mean a lot of hours and a lot of hard work. And that's always kind of been like, I think the expectation in our industry is that this is public practice. Many of our clients uh, historically have paid us by the hours. And so more hours means more revenue, which means more profitability. And so everyone's got to work a significant amount of time for the firm to be successful. For me, I don't believe that more hours equal more productivity. Even during the span that I've owned my firm, my own life has changed and evolved. I started my firm nine years ago. I had my son seven years ago, and I had my daughter three years ago. It used to be when I was starting this practice that I would work, started at 8.30 in the morning, and then just kind of go into the evening. And then he was born, and I would come to the end of the day, and at 4.30, it was like, you know, I've got a baby at home. I really want to see this kid. And so I would go home and do that. And that was a, that was an incredible gift that he gave to me, was the desire to be at home instead of at the office. That was really like a turning point for us as a firm in terms of the policies that we implement here. Because if I'm a parent who wants to go home and see their kids, so are my staff. 
if our policies don't reflect those values and the desire to be able to have both of those things, if they're not going to function for us as a firm, it's not going to function for our staff and they're going to leave. We've really tried to take an approach where we're trying to create a sustainable work environment where a person can still have that great career in public practice accounting, where they're having an impact and making a difference, but then they don't have to leave when it comes time to start a family or have kids or have friends and get for work-life balance. To me, work-life balance is the ability to have both that career with an impact with that family that you love and you care about, you get to see because work doesn't intrude on that personal time. Mm, so true. The interesting thing about that is, and I was telling you this earlier, is that I left public practice, but I had cultivated a mindset of overworking because that's kind of how I had grown up in the accounting world. I think it's possible to create a container, a work day, where you're not physically present at work, and yet you're still taking it home with you especially as a business owner. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. How do you in the evening not find yourself checking the email and staying present with your family and not feeling obligated to provide optimal service for your clients and your staff? I think that that maybe comes for me, at least from some hard lessons learned. Like, have you ever like been laying in bed, ready to go to sleep and you just happen to quickly flip open your email and you get an email that is maybe like an upset client or an upset customer or some conflict that arises. And then you just can't put that down and go to sleep. I know that 100%, that's... 100%. <laughs> I, I know that that's happened to me like many times where you engage even just briefly. It's just, oh, I'll just check that email quick. And then it intrudes like into your life. And I've had those situations where you read a bad email just before going to bed and then it's two in the morning and you're you're stewing about this email while you're laying there. I know that for me, like I do try to draw a line between work and home. I don't check my emails and stuff in the evening. I just don't think that that's healthy for me. Even like my wife and I like work in our office. I'm the owner or managing partner here and she is our director of client experience. But like we have a rule at home that we do not talk about work when we're out of the office and it's not a perfect rule and we don't enforce it perfectly. But it's just better when you're at home, you're making dinner, and then you're not like recapping or recounting the day or having the meeting at home that didn't happen in the day. We try to enforce that at home where it's just, we don't talk about work at home. Like home is home, work is work. Let's keep those things separate. There's nothing that we can accomplish at 5 p.m. or 6.30 p.m. like when we're making supper that we can't accomplish at nine o'clock tomorrow morning when we're both in the office. Oh, that's the key right there. There's nothing that we can't accomplish at 5 p.m. that we couldn't do the next morning. Right. And that, I think, yeah, that's so smart because I think when you have that belief system, you model it and it percolates throughout the office, you create a culture where it makes it so much easier for your staff to adopt and align with those values. Do you have any thoughts on that, modeling that for your staff? And then what kind of environment does that create in your office? I think if you're always on, like as the as the owner or the leader of a team, then that puts pressure on that team to always be on it as well. If you're sending emails in the evenings and they're receiving emails in the evenings and they start responding to emails in the evenings, the result is that you've just got a second workday that takes place after your first workday in those evenings. Whereas you're probably going to be served better 
by deferring that to the next day because you and I and, and people need rest. We need good rest and recovery to be able to function like at our highest level. If a person is just constantly on at work where that's where stress comes in, that's where like just tiredness or burnout comes in. It begins to intrude, not only like work intrudes on our evening, but then the fact that we never get to put it down means we never get a break, which means we never get rest, which then hurts the actual work that's happening within our workday as well. There's a law of diminishing returns that says the more time that you're spending working on and like worrying about these things, if you're spending 10, 12, 14 hours a day working, there's no way that you're coming into the next day at 100% of your ability. So if you come in at 80%, you're less productive, you're less functional, and then you end up working more time to make up for that lower productivity, and it just snowballs and spirals out of control. And so I think those guardrails around our workday actually makes us better within our workday because we've got the ability to recover from our workday. So true. And I love that you said the law of diminishing returns because you're speaking my language over here. I love that. I'm curious... It's one thing to understand this intellectually, theoretically, and it's another thing to actually put it into practice. And so what I know about you is you're transitioning to a four-day work week for right. your entire office. So can you tell us a little bit about how that's come about and what the results have been so far? I think for a lot of accounting firms that would be sort of hearing about this, they would think like that is a drastic change going from what I'm used to, like, which would be 50 to 60 hours a week down to a four day work week. That just doesn't seem like possible or like realistic, but we've been turning a dial on work-life balance for years by gradually implementing policies, moving towards like a more healthy, more sustainable work environment first thing that we did is we did away with overtime, not just unpaid overtime, because I know that many firms will compensate their employees either with like additional pay or bank time. We did away with overtime entirely. No one here has the expectation that they are going to be working hours outside of their standard work week. Even then tax season? Yeah, like it's uh, like like during tax season, like we don't have people putting in 10, 12, 14 hour days. And there's some adjustments that we made like in our firm to make that possible as well. The way that we talk about ourselves is that we are accountants for business owners. Our clients, we pursue ideally corporate, commercial, small business owners, profit oriented organizations. We do corporate year ends, corporate tax, and then most of the personal income taxes that we do are actually tied to a corporation as well. We're not advertising or promoting our firm as a provider of sort of casual tax services, because I think that that's an opportunity to add a lot of volume to work in a two-month period. But as many firm owners are going to know and understand, it's difficult to scale up for two months out of the year and then carry that staff for the rest of the year. And so rather than feast or famine or binge and purge, we just, we really try to focus like our practice on the incorporated small business owner. And then we turn away work that doesn't necessarily meet our ideal model. So the result is like our staff, like last season, went home at 4.30 in the afternoon, like every single day. And people did not go home and then cook supper for their family and eat a meal and then come back to the office from 8 o'clock until 11 o'clock at night. People work like a standard work day and their standard work hours. 
And of course, like we we filed every return that we have that came in. We got everything done and everything was filed on time. I think that maybe sometimes where firms are getting into trouble is it's hard to turn away work, even if it's not like your ideal or best suited client. So the result is like doing a lot of projects like during personal tax season, where it might be 100 or 150 or $200 personal tax returns. And yeah, it's quick money now, but it's like, I think it costs you so much more in terms of your ability to like run a practice that is balanced and healthy throughout the year. Oh, so true. What I'm hearing is that you're moving away from the billable hours model. Accountants usually bill for their yeah. time spent on their work. And what I'm hearing you say, and this is a great takeaway for a lot of different business owners, is that you're more focused on delivering value, quality to your existing clients and cultivating a deeper, more meaningful relationship with them. And you're also niching, I'm calling it niching, where you've really decided to focus on one segment of the market. Yeah, And I'm wondering how those two things play into your ability to offer this model, this four-day work week. Yeah. And I think like, like one of the ways that like we like really benefit is, is due to like sort of sustainable, like healthy work. And the fact that we don't experience uh, like staff turnover the way that many accounting firms do, because people who are forced to work like the hours that are required from like March to June every year, probably there's definitely going to be a large percentage that are going to stay in the industry, but there's also going to be a large percentage that are going to say, you know what, like, I just, I can't do that like every year for the rest of my life, for the rest of my career. And so the result is like, I think that like accounting firms might be taking on less than ideal work now. And it's like, we're doing more work because like I'm taking on these projects. But then the result is like, you've got a person that leaves and that person might walk out the door. That's a person that might, you might've been paying 60 to $70,000 a year to who is generating 150 to $200,000 in revenue. And because we blew them up in the short term, we didn't get the benefit of having them producing that revenue for the long term. And so I think in the long run, we're served better by not blowing up our people in a short time frame because we get the benefit of consistency year over year over year, the same employees working with the same clients, gaining efficiency, developing relationships. So we experience very little client loss and very little staff loss. And that's intentional in terms of like the way that we've set up our policies. Yeah, I could see it totally impacting your retention. And what about hiring? What impact is there on hiring? So for us, we hire when we grow. And as you mentioned earlier, we're a firm that grows. Like even though like we have this mentality or prioritization on work-life balance, we experience double-digit growth every single year. And like, I'm not saying like 10%, I'm saying 20 to 30% growth every year. I think that there is a tremendous amount of work out there available for accountants right now. Our biggest constraints, I think for accountants in general, our biggest constraints are going to be people and manpower and just making sure that we have the appropriate people in seats to be able to service these new clients that we're taking on. There's unlimited opportunities out there to take on new work. And the constraint is going to be having the people to be able to do that work. And I think you're better served by having a person work for you for 10 years at 35 or 32 hours a week, rather than having a person work for you at two years at 55 to 60 hours a week. Yes. It's that short-term thinking that you were mentioning earlier. It's the hidden costs of turnover, I think are somewhat underestimated. The costs of recruitment and hiring and training. 
And then, like you said, the loss when that talent walks out the door and having all of the associated costs around that. So that's right. Like if that person like leaves your firm to go into industry for better work-life balance, you've lost all that time and money that you've invested in training them. But then you've got to go out and probably pay a recruiter or like invest a significant amount of money in hiring and adding a new person to be able to infill that hole that they left in your firm when they left. And so why not take a longer view where that person doesn't have to leave the industry because they can get everything that they want in terms of that career of impact and satisfaction at work while also having the ability to have a life and a family and friends. Amazing. So amazing. Couple more questions. So I'm just wondering, what's your thoughts on working from home? Yeah, like for us, I like to come into work. I like to be able to talk to people. I like to be able to engage with them. And I think that that is beneficial to us in terms of creating a culture of collaboration like within our team ideally tried to have people in our offices working together so that they can cohort and mingle. Also walk around the corner and talk to somebody about a problem that they might be facing in terms of their projects and things that they might be dealing with. We are a technology focused firm. And so we certainly have the ability to like accommodate remote work in terms of the different technologies that we're using now are I would say we're probably 90% cloud-based with very few desktop applications in our practice, but our team likes to come into the office and likes to work together. Yeah, it makes sense. Especially when you talk about a culture of collaboration. As a continuous improvement expert, I'm always looking for different perspectives on how that gets created. And so I heard you say that the physical environment helps with that. What else creates a culture of collaboration for you? Well, I think for us, like like our staff have a really good understanding that they are, they're definitely here to like work and like work on their own projects, but all of them have had the benefit of having somebody pour into them at some point in their career in terms of like teaching, training, knowledge. We certainly have a strong quality control and review process here, which conditions people to be constantly giving each other feedback. And then our senior staff, many of them have graduated senior positions from junior positions. And so they had the benefit of having someone else lift them up through their career by like sharing knowledge and experience and training. So I think having like experience and seen that, that makes it easier for them to then turn around and then lift up that next person who is maybe in a place where they were six months to a year to, to two years earlier. A culture of collaboration, like thinking in our firm, is really about people understanding that someone taught them and that they in turn have responsibility to teach someone else what they know. Another positive byproduct of that retention as well. Mm-hmm. We've got staff that started with us as like bookkeepers or junior bookkeepers who then graduated to junior accountants, to senior accountants, to managers. It's like some of these staff have held relationships with like some of our clients for five years, 10 years, 20 years in, in one case. And those clients have been with that person like as they've sort of progressed through different roles as well. I think that helps us certainly like in terms of our growth as a firm to be taking these people and developing them and then positioning them in a place where they're also the trusted advisors for these clients. I'm the only owner of this firm. And so if I was in a position where every client relationship was something that I held personally, I become the bottleneck that prevents us from scaling. Whereas right now, like because we've got a group of people that work here that are capable, talented, and have developed relationships with our clients over time, we've got clients that I haven't spoken to in two years because they would rather deal with this person on our staff that holds the relationship and holds the knowledge about them. 
And then for me, that's only a business risk if my firm functions in a way where that person might leave at some point. And so I have an incentive to create an environment that causes people to want to stay because if that person leaves, not only do I leave their revenue generating potential, but also potentially the actual revenue because that person holds the relationships as well. And I like that. Like to me, I don't see it as as a risk. It's an incentive for me to create an environment where people want to stay and continue to work. Absolutely. So amazing. You're doing such great things. To my awareness, I don't know really any other public practice firm that has moved to a reduced work week in this way. So congratulations on that. That says a lot about your leadership style. I think it's- No, I, I appreciate that. I like, I recognize right now that I think like many public practice firms are in are in a crisis, like in terms of like hiring and staffing and recruitment. And part of the reason I think is just there's not enough public practice accountants out there to meet the demands of our clients. I think that like many firms struggle to turn down work, even if they don't have capacity for it. And then the result is they're just putting more and more pressure on their existing staff to meet an expanding business without an expanding staff to be able to deal with that. If anything, what we've seen is that recruitment is easier because we can talk about like all these things that we're doing in our practice that are going to be positive experience for the people who are working here. We don't have to talk to people in our interviews about how like, oh, it's going to be tax season and we're going to need you to put in a lot of extra hours, right? Like that causes a person not to want to accept that job. One of the biggest impacts of implementing the four-day work week right away has been resumes. And I'm talking real resumes, like people with uh, CPA designations, 20 years of experience, like managing clients, doing end-to-end projects. Implementing this policy has allowed us to move from that environment or situation that many accounting firms find themselves in, where you're taking your limited candidates, you might get one or two every couple of weeks or every couple of months, and hoping that one of them could work out to now like we've got a pool of potential candidates, and we can choose the best of the best, like from a group of people that are applying. And our offering is so strong that we're attracting people who are maybe some of the stronger players on other firms are not being fulfilled by those firms because some of those old policies that used to exist in public practice are still present. Yeah, you found a solution to a problem that hiring pressure, and also that pressure that is exerted on the existing employees to take up the slack, you've managed to find a solution to this problem that I would suggest is not just isolated to the accounting industry, it's right across the board. So I think yeah. many business owners will be really, really interested in this business model. I think I think it's kind of a question of like, would you have rather have a rock star for 32 hours a week or no one at all? And so to my mind, you're better off having that person, even on a condensed or shorter work week, rather than having all of this latent capacity and no way to serve it because you don't have the staff to be able to do that work. Absolutely. So great. So if Canadian business owners are looking for their next accountant or accountants are looking for their next job in public practice, how do they get in touch with you? Our website is a great resource. It's uh, www.mclenahan.com, M-C-L-E-N-E-H-A-N, or a person could email me at mike, M-I-K-E, at mclenahan.com. Amazing. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Just want to thank you so much for visiting the podcast today. I know that what you've said has helped a lot of different people in the audience. So thank you so much. 
Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me.